can sign up for an ultramarathon after two pints of beer, but you can completely ruin an ultramarathon with half a cup of coffee. I'm Roshan Chotu. Everyone calls me Rosh. I am the strategy lead for news partnerships APAC at Google. You know when you're out with your workmates and it hits a point in the evening when someone says, all right, enough shop talk, what else is going on? And that's where the real conversation starts. This podcast is that conversation. My name is Arma Iqbal, and over the last 20 years leading innovation at companies like Facebook and Deloitte, I've met lots of interesting people. Sure, their day jobs sound cool, but I've always been fascinated by the real-life stories behind the executives. Our guest today is Roshan Chotu. As well as being a strategy lead at Google, Rosh is a good friend and also my co-author on The Five Ways to Innovate. When he's away from the office, Rosh is an ultra-marathon runner and he travels the corporate circuit talking about the lessons he's learned from running and how they apply in the workplace. Here's my conversation with Rosh. Hey Rosh, welcome to the Enough Shop Talk podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Maybe we can start off with, can you just give me like a one minute quick intro on who you are and what you do for a day job? Thanks, Alma. I'm Roshan Chotu. I am the head of strategy for news partnerships, APAC at Google. What does that entail? Google has built a very successful business on the internet uh, with digital technologies. There's news industry, uh, a lot of, most of the industry has been disrupted by the internet, both in terms of readers, viewership, business model. So the news partnerships team is trying to help bring some of the best of what Google has to offer to help the industry transform and find sustainability. Awesome. All right. Well, Rosh, this is that part of the podcast where I'm going to call a timeout and say enough shop talk. As fascinating as your day job is, what I actually would like to talk about today is your other life as an ultra marathon runner. So just to set up some context, I thought it might be fun if we play a quick game of true or false. I'm going to put out some statements based on what I know about ultramarathon running, and you can tell me whether this is true about yourself or not. So, Rosh, you ran your first ultramarathon about three years ago, pre-pandemic, which was the Gobi March in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. True or false? That is true. Okay. And you said it's a self-sustained ultramarathon, meaning you carry everything. Does that include food, water? What does that include? What are you carrying on your back? That includes everything that you need to survive for seven days in the desert, except tents and water, which are provided by the race organizers. But everything else you need to carry, so t-shirts, shorts, first aid kit, food, an emergency bivy bag in case you get lost and need to camp out by yourself, uh, toilet paper. How does one estimate the amount of toilet paper you may need for seven days in the desert? <laughs> um, you take a look at your toilet roll at home and see how much you roughly use. I, uh, I overestimated the idea of being stuck in the desert without toilet paper. Freaked me out. So in the last race, I took two rolls excessive so this time this time i'll only be taking one <laughs> uh okay i'll draw some conclusions from that but i'm sure this time around you're putting together some sort of spreadsheet and on that topic you are currently in training for your second ultra marathon is that correct that is right the atacama crossing in chile amazing 
And so now for the the complete noobs like myself, before I started speaking with you, I didn't really know what an ultra marathon is. And so you explained it to me this way. Uh, an ultra or this type of ultra marathon is running a marathon every day for six days, except on one of the days you run two marathons, which kind of brings me to my first question. I mean, running one marathon, when I hear people are training for a marathon, I already think they're um, you know, a, a very ambitious type of a person, uh, certainly not something I can picture myself doing, but to run basically seven marathons in six days is quite an achievement. And to even sign up for that in the first place is quite a, a large undertaking. So how did you find yourself participating in an ultra marathon to begin with? Have you always been a runner? Is this something you'd always wanted to do? No, no, I haven't always been a runner. I I hated running from a very early age uh, in school. They would make us do cross-country runs. And those were the most miserable times of my schooling life. I remember during one of those runs, uh, it's England, so of course it was raining. And we went through a trail that takes us through what was called as the elephant dip, uh, which was this thick mud where many, many students have lost their shoes and ended up finishing just running through socks. Um, and I was about halfway through, everyone had already finished. And yeah, I, was, I remember this vividly, sad, was demotivated, disheartened, cold, legs felt like collapsing. But I, I rationalized to myself that if I just keep moving forward, there's a fixed end to this race. Doesn't matter how slow I go, if I just keep moving forward, I'll eventually, eventually get to the end point and fast forward 15 years and I'll be running an ultra marathon because I, uh, I met somebody in a bar. Uh, this was the last meeting of my day. I was giving a mentoring session to one of my colleagues and we were talking about motivation at work. And one of my colleagues who had served in the army told a story about having to march 40 kilometers. And this guy drinking beer alone at the end of the table had been eavesdropping the whole conversation, leans over and says, everything this person is telling you about motivation is absolutely right. I've run four ultra marathons through a desert. And that is absolutely what motivation is. And I looked at him and, you know, in the nicest way, you look at some people and you have an idea of what somebody who runs four desert ultra marathons looks like. Not that. He didn't look like that. Um, so I was just inquisitive. It's like, but surely you're superhuman. Surely you're genetically modified to do this. And surely your parents' entire family history of long distance running. It's like, no, just train for it. Anyone can do it. And I really took him up on that. I was like, anyone. He said, yeah, it's a mental challenge, not a physical challenge. Anyone can finish an ultra marathon through a desert. Uh, so I signed up there and then on the spot and showed him confirmation page. Now I was committed because shortly after I paid that, I settled up the bill for the two pints that I had and went home because I knew I needed to go running the next day. What do you do the day after you wake up from two pints and signing up for an ultramarathon? You put on your running shoes and you go out running and that's the most important step. Uh, you don't give yourself the opportunity to back out because if you miss the first day, the next day is just another one of those days. And you just got out, went running. It was only eight kilometers. 
but it was enough to get this whole thing rolling. It sounds to me like the the most important step was drinking two beers before making the decision. So that's a, a lesson that we can all take away. And uh, yeah, I think that's really powerful. Capture it at the point of inspiration. That's really what got you into it. Otherwise, you would have woken up the next morning and probably not thought twice about it. Okay, so my second question, Rosh, is what uh, what were some of the surprises you discovered along the way? And that can be surprises about things that you experienced, things that you found out about yourself, things that you logistically kind of went through in the course of running the Gobi March. What surprised you? This is usually where runners are very profound but I would be disingenuous if I tried to do that. No, the the biggest thing that surprised me as a vegetarian was just how many flies you end up swallowing in training for an ultra marathon uh, running across the trails. I swallowed 76 flies over seven months training for the Gobi March. Um, like everything, you get better with practice. I'm down to just 16 in training for this second ultra marathon. So, you know, we're trending in the right direction. Number of beers are up, number of flies are down. I think everything's tracking well. <laughs> Second biggest surprise. I mean, you learn a lot about your body when you're training for an ultra marathon, including just how sensitive some of the body parts are. Uh, there was one, I think, 16-kilometer run I went out for. It was raining, as it often does in Singapore. And the sheer amount of chafing that happened during the 16-kilometer run left me with very bloody nipples that I only realized when I got home and took the t-shirt off to go for a shower. I'm glad you took that story towards nipples because uh, yeah, the imagination can run away with itself sometimes when you just talk about generic chafing. Um, okay, anything else that surprised you along the way? Probably more seriously, you know, training is so important to, you know, everyone thinks the training is all about getting your body ready. But it's really about testing everything. So testing your body is one part of it, which is the actual training of your body. But testing all of your equipment, testing all of the food. You ask, how do you know how much toilet paper to take? Well, one part is measure how much toilet paper you use. The other is test all the food you're going to eat through the desert out before you get there so you know how well it works with your digestive system. And I hadn't done that. So the biggest surprise is I took gels, which I hadn't trained with. And they were different from the ones I trained with, but I didn't realize. And I only realized, like, there were 100 calories. I was coming up to a hill. I thought, oh, I'm about 20 minutes away from that hill. Let me take one of these gels. It takes about 20 minutes for that kind of sugar to hit your bloodstream. So you have the energy to go up the hill. And I did it like I was up this hill in no time. It didn't wear off. And then I was speeding down this hill and through a valley for 16 kilometers. And I was just feeling so energetic. I was surprised. So I looked at the kind of the used gel wrapper and it had 45 milligrams of caffeine in it, which is about half a cup of coffee. Half a cup of coffee made me go faster than I'd ever gone with a 10 kilo pack. And I hadn't trained downhill. I went too fast and the pack was really heavy because it was only the 50th kilometer. So I, I damaged my knees. <laughs> um, I hurt my knees because I hadn't trained with half a cup of coffee. And I had to do, I had to hobble for the remaining 190 kilometers 
all because of half a cup of coffee. So I think the question was, what was any, what was the surprise? The surprise was beer is better than coffee. You can sign up for an ultra marathon after two pints of beer, but you can completely ruin an ultra marathon with half a cup of coffee. So, I mean, when, once you got to that situation where you've got injured knees and you're pushing yourself through 190 kilometers, I imagine all you, the only way that you can get through something like that is just to think, I just need to get to the next flag. You're not thinking about 190 kilometers at that point. Breaking the problem down into units is the most important part. So the smallest unit is left foot, right foot. The next unit, once you're like, okay, left foot, right foot, it's get to the next flag the entire course is marked with pink flags. And once you're going from flag to flag, you're thinking checkpoint to checkpoint. And each checkpoint is roughly 10 kilometers apart. And really that's the biggest unit you need to be thinking because a 250 kilometer ultra marathon is really just 25, 10 Ks, which feels a lot more manageable. 25 checkpoints and the whole thing is done. Thanks for sharing that story. I know you went through a tough time kind of hobbling your way through a remaining 190 kilometers is no mean feat, but you did it and you completed it. And look, this is something that not many people achieve in their life, even in great health. So to to be able to do that uh, with an injury is commendable and kind of speaks to your uh, stubbornness <laughs> as well as your unbreakable spirit. So definitely a, a tip of the cap to that. I've got one more question on that. So if, if anyone's listening to this and ever finds themselves at a bar, perhaps two pints in, they're signing up for a race. You've been through this once now. So clearly you've got some learnings, e.g. don't take caffeine when you're about to run up a hill. What kind of wisdom could you impart on anyone who's maybe thinking about undertaking something, some kind of drastic life change or a big event coming up in their life? I mean, there's so many, probably more than we have time for. One is I'm not a natural planner. I don't like planning things. Uh, I like going with the flow. So when I traveled for 13 months in Asia, several years back, I only ever had things booked a day in advance. But for this type of thing, it was so important to plan. You know, it's what Dwight Eisenhower said. Plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. If I had to finish work, go home, and then decide what workout I needed to do and what I was going to eat, I probably wouldn't have left home again. Like, I wouldn't get out to train. The fact that I had a plan, like I spent time saying, okay, Monday is a running day, Tuesday is a weight day, Wednesday is a running day, Thursday is a rest day. It just meant whenever I knew, whenever I finished work and it's time to train, I just had to look at something and go, okay, that's what I'm doing today. I'm running and I need to run 16 kilometers. Now, obviously plans are useless. I can, I can change the plan at that point. I can say, actually, I want to do 18 or I want to do 10. But the fact that it's written down and I've got something to change as opposed to something to write, editing is always easier than creating. So invest the time to create upfront. And that way, everything you're doing thereafter is just either looking at what you need to do and just doing it, um, which is good once decision fatigue kicks in, or you're editing, which is also completely fine. It's fine to change the plan based on how you're feeling. The second... Just when you're running, 
when you're doing anything, just don't ever stop. <laughs> Keep going. Don't ever stop. And if you do stop, fall forwards. And I don't mean that, again, in a profound sense. I'm not that profound. What I mean literally is if at any point you've stopped running, you just keep leaning forward, keep leaning forward, keep leaning forward until you think you're going to hit the ground and your natural reflexes kicks in and one leg steps forward to catch your body from falling. And then you just need to keep leaning forward and then the second leg falls forward to catch your body. That's running. <laughs> running is basically just falling forwards. And the final one is kid wisdom. How would you explain to a child they need to keep moving forward? Well, it's simple. Just left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And when your body's fatigued and your mind's fatigued because it's now spent, I don't know, five, six hours of the day overriding your body's desire to not wanting to move, you just need the simple units of thought that keeps you moving forward. And the simplest unit of running is left foot, right foot. Very nice. All right. So just to replay that back, and I think these are applicable to anything. Wisdom there is separate the planning from the doing. Don't ever stop. If you do stop, just fall forwards. And then final thing is, yeah, just break the big problem down into the smaller units and keep moving forward. Left foot, right foot. I like that analogy. Yeah. Turn big problems into small problems. Rosh, this is awesome. I've got just one more question for you. From what you've learned, what does it all mean? How have you managed to translate these lessons into your BAU, back into your everyday life? You know, we often kid ourselves into thinking work is this shorter thing than it is. Like a good example is when I'm out running, someone overtakes me. Even if my plan, like I've done the planning, I've done the planning and the plan says today you're doing a recovery run. You're just going to move really slowly for an hour just to warm up your muscles, loosen them up, and then you come home and stretch. Somebody runs past you. you find, I find myself speeding up. Even though I know I'll be running five times the distance of that person, there's something in us that's innately attuned to competition that wants to keep up with the next person that wants to move faster. And that doesn't always win. So in the 2019 Gobi race that I was in, the person who won the race on day one, who crossed the finish line to camp first, pulled out the following morning because he was running a marathon, not an ultra marathon. So he went too fast too soon and, and failed. Like he, he couldn't keep that pace up for more than one day. And there were six more days left. In business, we often think in sprints. And I don't mean agile sprints, I mean short artificial timeframes, like monthly KPIs, quarterly targets, annual reviews. But if you're sprinting towards the next milestone, you can move too fast and forget that business doesn't actually have a finish line. It's not a sprint. It's not even a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. This company will probably outlive you the mission is going to outlive you and your interest in it. So I think we'll, in running an ultramarathon, you're always trying to run your forever pace. And in business, I think we'll all go much further for longer if we can find our forever pace. 
All right, Rosh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Just before you go, where can people find you and connect with you online? Uh, you can find me across all the usual professional places, namely LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. But only if you're going to ask me questions about Ultraman. All right. Thanks so much for listening. That's enough water cooler chat for today. Let's all get back to work. I'm Amit Iqbal. And I'm Roshan Chotti. Have a great week. <laughs>